Okay. I want you to think for a moment when you pray and envision when you're praying, who are you praying to? Think about that. This is your own prayer. And I bring this up because sometimes it might be that we, we image God. We think of, I, I pray to God. That's, well, other people might say, well, I, I pray to God the Father, God the Creator. That's who I pray to. Some people might say, well, I pray to Jesus. When I pray, I'm thinking about Jesus. And other people, they might say, well, it's the Holy Spirit. That's the one who I ask for and speak to in prayer. And some people might say, well, it kind of depends. Um, and I just want to say, however uh, you envision God, it's, there's, there's no right or wrong answer on this one, okay? But, but I think it's a good day on this feast of, of the solemnity of the, of the Holy Trinity. It, it's just kind of, we have uh, a God, three persons in one God, and so that gives us a chance for a little... Uh, well, just different ways of praying, I think, and understanding our prayer. This morning, what I'd like to focus on is, uh, you know, there's, there's different ways that we might pray individually in our homes. How about as a faith community, when we come together at Mass, who are we praying to? Well, let's start with, uh, after the opening song, what's the first prayer that we say? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Who are we praying to? Um. All three members of the Holy Trinity, aren't we? All right. And the very last thing we do at Mass, uh, the priest says, and may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? So we conclude each Mass in the name of the Holy Trinity. What about right in the midst of Mass? And, and, and I'm not going through all the parts of the Mass, but you might just kind of notice if there's pieces that speak of one member of the Trinity or the whole Trinity. One prayer I want to point out is our creed. Right after the homily, we pray the creed. Now, all through the 40 days of Lent and through the 50 days of the Easter season, we've been using the Apostles' Creed because that's the creed that's used when somebody is baptized. And our focus has been, during Lent, we build up to the Easter vigil when the newly baptized come into the church, and then throughout the Easter season, we're reflecting on our baptism. So we've been using the Apostles' Creed. Now we're back to ordinary time, so we'll go back to using the Nicene Creed. That's the one in the inside front cover of our songbook, but regardless of which creed we use, you'll see when you look at the creed, it's really structured on the three members of the Trinity. And so the creed is certainly about what we believe, but even more, it's who we believe in. And we believe in God the Father, the Creator. We believe in Jesus, His Son. Uh, that's the gospel today. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. And so you'll see that in 
our creed, whichever one we use. I want to speak today about the Eucharistic prayer and who we are praying to in the Eucharistic prayer. And so I'm going to ask you to turn to page 19 in your songbooks. And on page 19, you'll see Eucharistic prayer number three. The one thing that's different about, we've been using the Breaking Bread songbook for years, but this is the first year that I recall that they've included the Eucharistic prayers in the songbook. And I think that can be helpful as, as part of our prayer, is if you want before Mass or after Mass, there's a lot in each one of these prayers. Sometimes it's good to re and reflect and pray with them on your own, there's four standard Eucharistic prayers, one, two, three, and four. And then after them, it mentions a couple of prayers of reconciliation. And we use all those over the course of the year at our Sunday Masses. But probably the one that we use the most at the Sunday Mass is Eucharistic prayer number three. So that's the one I want us to focus on. Notice the very first words of it. You are indeed holy, O Lord. Who is that directed to? God. God the Father, right? Because it says, and all you have created. We speak of God the creator. So, and that really captures the entire Eucharistic prayer is really a way, it's, it's a, where we join our offering to the offering that Jesus makes to God the Father. So it's our participation in the prayer of Jesus, uh, joining our offering to Jesus and, uh, and, and uh, make to God the Father. But you'll notice that right away it, it doesn't, it, it, it's, we, you are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. And then it goes right into, for through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, so you've got all three members of the Trinity are there, right at the very beginning of Eucharistic prayer number three. Now I want to mention the Holy Spirit in particular. In the Eucharistic prayer, a little bit further down on that same column, it says, Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that, that transforms the bread and wine that are brought forward in our offertory. That's how it becomes the body and blood of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. What is the, now, the priest is saying those words. What else is the priest doing at that time? The priest is holding his hands like this. That's symbolizing the, the, the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the bread and wine. So the priest has his hands like that, and then he makes the sign of the cross, the sign of the Holy Trinity. Okay? So that's called the epiclesis, if you want the fancy word. Okay? Epiclesis in Greek. It's, it's a calling forth the Holy Spirit. The bread and wine become the body and blood of Jesus. Now there's one more time that the Holy Spirit is invoked in each Eucharistic prayer. That's if you turn to the next page on page 20. 
And about two-thirds of the way down, it says, Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with this Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. And when we speak of the body of Christ, we certainly refer to the Eucharist becoming the, the body of Christ, the bread transformed through the Holy Spirit. How else do we use that phrase, body of Christ? That would be all of us. We are the body of Christ. St. Paul writes, you know, we are the body of Christ, and the body has many members. Christ is the head, but there are many members. So that's all of us. So that could be called the second epiclesis, calling on the Holy Spirit to transform us into the body and blood of Christ, the body of Christ. You know what? It may be when you came to church here today, you might know everybody here. Or it might be you don't know anybody here. Doesn't matter. You're part of the body of Christ, okay? We're all joined together through the Spirit. It might be that when you come here to church, you love everybody here. It might be when you come to church, it's really an effort. You can't stand anybody here. I hope not, but it's possible. Doesn't matter. You're part of the body of Christ, okay? Now, now we'll work on that love thing, all right? But, uh, but it's, it's that same Holy Spirit that's at work with the Eucharist becoming the body of Christ is also working on forming us as a community of faith, helping us to work together for God's mission. Okay. I think the other thing I just want to mention about, well, I know, I want to mention the, uh, on page 19, you'll see there's some print that's a little different um, style of print. That's highlighting what are called the words of institution. The words that Jesus used at the Last Supper when he takes the bread and, and then he says, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given for you. And then a little later he takes the chalice. Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood. Okay, poured out for you. Do this in memory of me. That's called the institution narrative, and that, too, is a key part of our Eucharistic prayer, calling to mind uh, what Jesus' actions, and then, you know, that, that do this in memory of me. That's why we gather at Mass. We're doing this in memory of Jesus, where we're calling the bread and wine becoming his body and blood, and we're calling to mind that it becomes the body and blood now through the Holy Spirit and that our call to also become Eucharist to others by what we say, by what we do. So that, again, is a key part. And again, the priest is saying the words, what's the actions of the priest at that point? What's the priest doing? Okay, He's holding up the host for the body, and then he's holding up the chalice for the blood. Okay. Remember that, servers. This is going to come into play in a little bit for you. All right? Now, the last thing I want to highlight with the Eucharistic prayer is at the end of it on page 21, you'll see at the end of Eucharistic prayer number three, it says, continue on to page 26. So let's continue on to page 26. 
And on page 26, at the top, you'll say the Eucharistic prayer culminates and concludes when the priest sings or says. So whatever Eucharistic prayer we are using, it all ends up in what's called the doxology. And the doxology, it says, through him and with him and in him. Who him? What, what him are we talking about there? God, Jesus. We're talking about Jesus, because then the next line, O oh God, Almighty Father, and the next line, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. See, the Eucharistic prayer, it's all about the Trinity in it. And so at the conclusion of the Eucharistic prayer, it's calling on the Trinity, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. And then what do we say? Amen. We don't just simply say it. We sing it, right, choir? It's called the great amen because it's the one at the end of the Eucharistic prayer. It's a way that all of us can make that prayer our own. Yes, Lord, I believe. Uh, I say amen to this. And so that's, that's really the key part, that the Eucharistic prayer is, is a good, solid amen. Now, that's all I'm going to say about Trinity Sunday. I want to also say something about next week's feast. Next week's feast, it used to be called uh, Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. Now we speak of the solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ. Okay? And it's significant that we, we celebrate that feast every year, but this year I think is especially significant because it's part of what the, the Church in the United States were undergoing what's called a Eucharistic revival. And the feast of the body and blood of Christ marks a, a movement to make this to the parish stage. It's been at the diocesan stage. Now this next year, focused on the parish stage. And so the Worship Commission and I were thinking about how do we make that something special for us here at St. Michael. One thing is, is, well, it certainly makes sense that on the feast of the body and blood of Christ that we offer communion under both forms, doesn't it? That you can receive, if you wish, both the body and blood of Jesus in the Eucharist. So we're working with our Eucharistic ministers that will be able to provide that next week. And I hope at the 11 o'clock Mass that we'll be able to continue to provide that each week. So anybody who'd like to receive both the body and blood of Christ will be able to do so. That's one piece. Secondly, uh, we're going to have next week the ringing of the bells. Now, uh, some of you have been at parishes where there's the ringing of the bells during the Eucharistic prayer. Some remember that from their, when they were young, having the ringing of the bells. Uh, I've been at St. Michael's 19 years, and everybody, once in a while, somebody will say, hey, I missed the ringing of the bells. Can we have the ringing of the bells at church? And I've always said, no. <laughs> because that's how I was brought up in the seminary training that I received, that the bells go back to a time in our history when Mass was in Latin, and nobody spoke Latin, and they really didn't know what was going on at Mass, but the bells were kind of a signal, hey, pay attention, something important is happening here, okay? Well, now we have Mass in what's called the vernacular, which is the language of the people. So for us, that's English. And so we get to, you get to hear and understand the entire Eucharistic prayer. So my sense, we don't need the bells. Well, 
I said, I've been thinking about that and praying about it and hearing from you about it. And I talked with the worship commission. We thought, you know, it's good when we pray to involve different senses, you know, our sense of sight and hearing uh, and, well, and touch and taste and, well, even with smell, with incense. And the ringing of the bells is another way for us to participate in prayer with using hearing the sound of the bells. And even though I hope you're paying attention to the entire Eucharistic prayer, I hope that by hearing the bells that you will be able to focus in case you drifted off, that you get back to the Eucharistic prayer, the prayer that we're praying. So we'll start using the bells next week. Servers, that's your job. Do you see how there's four? You know, usually there's three kneeler pads for you. You see how there's four now? That's because the bells are going to sit on one of them, okay? <laughs> Don't worry. I'll give you some instruction on how to ring them, all right? We'll go through that. And uh, so that's what we hope to start doing beginning next weekend. Okay, one more piece with how to mark the Feast of the Body and Blood of Christ is for centuries it's been tradition that on the Feast of Corpus Christi there's been a Eucharistic procession. And the church, it would begin at church with the presence of Jesus and what's called the monstrance. It's this um, metallic, uh, it's often very beautiful, that holds the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist and then with servers and the cross and incense, uh, it's, the Eucharist is brought in procession through the, the streets of villages and cities, and it's happened, as I said, for centuries. Um, and so we thought, well, you know, maybe it's time that we do it at St. Michael. Uh, we're going to do that after the 11 o'clock Mass next Sunday. So it'll go right from uh, the, when we finish communion next Sunday at 11, we're going to go right into Eucharistic procession. We're going to have, I hope we have a lot of servers. So we're going to have as many servers as we can talk into coming or are available. We'll have them leading us in the procession. And then we'll have the Eucharist in the monstrance. And then we'll invite the choir to join so we can have some singing along the way. And then I'm going to invite all of you to participate we're not going to walk through all the streets of Grand Ledge, but we thought, well, let's at least get outside and go around the church, okay? So we're going to go around the church so that we can have a sense of bringing the Lord in the Eucharist east, west, north, and south, and so that we can physically enact uh, sim symbolically our call to bring the presence of Jesus every time we leave church to whatever direction we're going, to our homes, to our schools, our places of work, our communities. So that's what I hope we have a sense of next week at, through, through our Eucharistic procession. That happens to be our graduation mass. So we're going to have the graduates who are here participate. I told the kids that made their first Holy Communion this year, I would love it if you were to wear whatever you were wearing on first, your first communion. Wear your dresses and suits and have that as part of the procession. And uh, so now if you just say, I'm sorry, Father, I'm, my wheelchair won't let me get around there very easily, that's okay. You can stay right here in church because we're going to come back into church. We're going to conclude with benediction. Benediction means the blessing with the Eucharist. 
And then uh, that will, then we'll conclude with a final song. And then you're all welcome to go downstairs because that's where we're having our graduation breakfast for our graduates and their families. But, but our Knights of Columbus are putting it on. They're willing to make enough pancakes and sausage and whatever else for all of us. So anybody who wants to come down and congratulate the graduates, you're welcome to come down. Okay? So that's the game plan for next week. I just wanted to kind of give you a heads up about that. And I hope that it can be a way that we can participate in giving thanks uh, to the Lord for the gift of the Eucharist in our lives.